Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Aaron Kindle and Bill Cooksey are part of the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Program, Sportsman's and Outdoors Program. You're probably thinking to yourself, the National Wildlife Federation? Aren't those uh, a bunch of anti-hunting guys? Well, that's why I wanted to talk to Aaron, and that's why I wanted to talk to Bill, is that you cannot always believe what your buddies tell you. And so I wanted to have them on and just have a real good discussion about what is NWF? When was it formed? Who do they represent? What do they get involved with? And as you'll find out, pretty involved in hunting. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a nonprofit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So it's funny how this world is really, really, really small. Um, Bill just was talking about a guy from my old past. Uh, I'm actually going into his world tomorrow, um, back down onto the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. Johnny Marquez, shout out to Johnny Marquez. He was oh yeah, great dude. One of the first people that I interacted with, honestly, when we started talking about Blood Origins. And here's here's a little bit of history for the both of you that I didn't talk about on the Zoom call that we had. Do you know who was the first person, first people? first organization to publish anything around the idea of blood origins no should we should we be guessing national wildlife federation <laughs> is that why you're saying it in a in a way like this it was the mississippi wildlife federation magazine there you go gotcha every uh, it was like 4 years ago 5 years ago um Gosh, I'm going to mess up Brad's last name. I think it was White. Brad White, maybe? I know Brad. and Brad Young, sorry. Brad Young, Young was it. the executive director of MWF. And um, 
we had just launched Blood Origins. He fell in love with it. He's like, man, write an, an article for our magazine. We did one year and then we did another year and attended the Mississippi um, Wildlife Federation Outdoors Extravaganza for mm -hmm. a couple of years. And um, yeah, so that's actually another connection into the Federation that we didn't talk about on the Zoom call that we got together on. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> I hated Brad left uh, Mississippi Wildlife Federation. He was a he was a great executive director for them. You got a good one now. Ashley's pretty good. Oh, I, Ashley is, but but Ashley's trying to ease out. You know, Ashley's political. She's yes. much more political than Brad was. Yeah, so. yeah. We got to have them all. But yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, since everyone has been hearing us talk, uh, obviously, uh, you guys represent not obviously. Uh, but Bill, Aaron, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Um, let me start with you, Aaron. Why don't you guys just give an introduction to who you are and who you represent? Sure. Aaron Kindle. I'm the Director of Sporting Advocacy for the National Wildlife Federation. So I help run all of our sporting work across the entire federation. Um, and I live in Colorado. Been in conservation for 20 plus years now. And uh Love hunting, fishing, all the good outdoor stuff. I don't know what else. What else do you want me to tell you? <laughs> That's a good intro. Bill Cooksey. Hey, Bill Cooksey. I am the Senior Sportsman Outreach Coordinator for the Vanishing Paradise Program and also Director of Conservation Partnerships uh, for the state of Tennessee for the National Wildlife Federation. Live near Parsons, Tennessee on the shores of Kentucky Lake. Um, been hunting now for 51 years, so I have a little time in the field. You're only 51 years young? Bill I'm Cooksey? 55. <laughs> I was I was trying Ma to help you out. Mom here for kept a me home for four days, four years. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to just dive right in, and as we typically do here at Blood Origins, we like to have really good, hard hitting discussions about topics that pertain to who we are. And the reason I was intrigued in having folks from the National Wildlife Federation on this podcast, as most people listening to this were saying, Robbie, what the hell? Why do you have an anti-hunting organization on your podcast? And I say, well, I, I'm, I'm a, a, you know, an olive branch kind of guy. And I like to hand out the olive branch to anyone. Um, and lo and behold, Aaron Kindle, NWF is not anti-hunting, correct or incorrect? Correct. Far from it. Um, we were actually founded by hunters in large part. Yeah, talk about that founding because that was the most sort of astounding thing to me. You guys were based and you, you guys were formed as a hook and bullet federation organization, yeah. right? Clear back in the 30s with some key players that lots of folks might recognize. Um, the Roosevelt's, the Aldo Leopold's, people like that were part of our founding. And our first uh, director was a guy named J. Ding Darling. And folks may know him as he is the uh, founder and inventor of the duck stamp. He mm -hmm. was the guy who drew all the original duck stamps. He was a political cartoonist back then. You may have seen a cartoon that shows all these people rushing the Capitol. And a chief among oh, them. Oh, yes, 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 yes. In the yes. beginning, it are, are hunters and anglers, and they're kind of scaling up the Capitol. And that was drawn by J. Ding Darling, our first founder, and it was uh, our first director, and it was to represent 
the forming of the Federation and how we started. We convened people and said, let's get all the people who are, care about wildlife together and, and have the first national wildlife conference. I think now the, the iteration of it that's left is the North American Wildlife Conference. It still okay. kind of exists. But through that, we formed the National Wildlife Federation, and many of our state and territorial affiliates uh, began then as well. Um, mm-hmm. And it was largely, uh, Jay Ding Darling himself was a, was a hunter and an angler, and, and many of the uh, original leaders were. And some of the first work we did was some of the seminal pieces of legislation that guide our, our work to this day, such as the Pittman-Robertson Act. The National Wildlife Federation was instrumental and one of the key players in passing the Pittman-Robertson Act that we all know today. Mm. So I'll, I'll start there and, and see if that, if that covers well, it or Bill, they, maybe you well, want to add some stuff. Let me, I'll throw this at Bill. Bill, that was 70 years ago, 80 <laughs> years ago, 90 sure. years ago. A lot of things change mm-hmm. in 70, 80, 90 years. Uh, you know, there's a strong anti-hunting sentiment out there. and is NWF still the same in terms of their thought pattern from the 30s and 40s? You know, as you say, things do change, but I can tell you, I'm trying to figure out how to frame this so I get it all in there um, internally. Well, we've got plenty of time, Bill. This is the podcast. It's, you know, we've got plenty of time, yeah. <laughs> internally, in any communications, hunters and anglers are always included. I mean, they are a big part of what we do. I think where some misconceptions happen, NWF is a huge organization. I mean, we have monarch butterfly programs. We have offshore wind programs. Some things that a lot of sportsmen maybe tend to be conservative, and if they see that, they think automatically, well, that's anti-hunting, when it probably really has nothing to do with hunting at all. They're just people who work on those, those issues. Then we have affiliates all around the country, 52 affiliates. Most of them are hook and bullet, and I mean hardcore, serious, heavy hook and bullet. Like you and I live in Tennessee and TWF is about as hook and bullet as they come. But then we have some maybe in the Northeast or along the West Coast who are either limited hook and bullet or not at all. So, you know, people may see something from there and they do a lot of good work. They're just not sportsman oriented. But NWF itself is still very much uh, sportsman focused. I actually had one of the first things I attended was the Dallas Safari Club. Um, after I came Come to work on. at NWF. NWF attends the Dallas Safari Club? Brother, I, I attend all kinds of, of outdoor events. Uh, I did miss it in Nashville, but I'd been at NWTF the week before. Dude, you missed a freaking show and a half in Nashville. And you're from uh, Tennessee. I'm, Come on now. I, I know it, but I'd been there the week before, and then I had to be at the Classic. It's just, you know how it is. You can't go to all of them. But, uh, but I was at Dallas Safari Club, and it was the night before it opened, and I was sitting at the hotel bar. I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I'm having a drink with a a uh, outfitter from Montana. Never met him, but we were having a great conversation. Another guy walks in and and he says uh, he introduces me and and says National Wildlife Federation. The guy says, "Why is an anti-hunter here?" I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "You work for an anti-hunting group." And I said, "Well, then they sure as hell screwed up hiring me because I've killed more crap than you've ever seen, son." <laughs> and he laughed Dead in the most you know genuine charismatic way as a southerner can say right <laughs> pretty much I, I needed to nip that one in the bud so bill but one of that was one of your worries right you 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 didn't come how long have you been working for nwf it'll be seven years in september and you came from where 
I, I was actually a editor of a hunting and fishing magazine when I left there for NWF, but I'd spent 15 years as the marketing director for, for Avery Outdoors. I've been in the outdoor industry my whole life. So Hunter, just mm-hmm. like Aaron was, right? Did you have any concerns? I didn't, but I was being hired for a very sportsman centric, uh, part of the organization uh and and i was familiar through twf and what i knew of nwf with their sportsman's oriented things um and i i it was actually interesting when i got in suddenly i was with butterfly people and you know all, all these folks that are not sportsmen at all and i was welcomed by all of them i mean i walked in i said i am your redneck hook and bullet guy and we're probably going to talk different languages, and we did to an extent, yet I was very much welcomed, and they appreciate sportsmen being involved in conservation and what we bring to the table. But Aaron, are we really, really, truly speaking different languages? Because at the end of the day, and here's why, again, we're a very, Blood Origins, you know, we're a, we're a turtle in this race, and I like the fact that we're a turtle and that we're slowly gaining ground every single day. But the biggest thing that we're trying to gain ground around is this idea of what we do, the benefits and consequences of the action of hunting. Private land individuals that just the, the plain old Jane Whitetail deer hunter who constantly is improving habitat, constantly is doing work, that is benefiting the butterfly people. Even though they're not doing it for that reason, there's these knock-on effects. So really, are we speaking the same language? Are we speaking different languages? Well, I think yes and. Um, and that's because we are speaking a language that's the same, and that's the wildlife language, the, the habitat, the things we all kind of know, right? You take care of habitat, wildlife thrives. And almost everybody who's in conservation or wildlife conservation understands that part of it. Um, we, we speak different, nomen, we have different nomenclature, right? Obviously, when we're talking about rifle calibers or, you know, the kind of tippet you use on your fly line or the jigs you're using, those things are typically not in the nomenclature of average, just environmentalist, mm-hmm. right? But in the end of the day, it, it's something that I talk about a lot, actually, because when you talk, whether you're talking a green environmentalist, or a hardcore conservative, but that they all love wildlife, you find that actually about 80% of the things you agree on, and we just spend a heck of a lot of time on the 20% that we don't agree on, mm-hmm. kind of battling with each other, arguing about things. Um, but in the end, if we keep the wildlife as the North Star and conservation as the North Star, we end up okay, and we actually do ourselves a lot of favors by having as many allies as we possibly can in that, in that conversation. Oh, no, it's about time that non-hunters and hunters, I'm not talking anti-hunters, non-hunters and hunters recognize that we're after the same thing, even anti-hunters. We're after the same bloody thing, which is sustainable wildlife populations for the future generations to be able to utilize, purposely said utilize, and interact with. And we just happen to have different tools, potentially, on how to get there. Yeah, there's one other thing, Robbie, that, you know, I tell the story of, and that is, you know, I spent my youth hunting and then maybe later early youth, uh, spent a lot of time with some folks in my family and that, that did it the wrong way, 
and really turned me off from what hunting meant. Uh, you know, we'd shoot a, pretty much anything and, and season or not. Uh, and, and I spent a period from maybe 16 to early 20s where I was like, if that's what honey is, I don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and went through a period in my life where it took me a little bit, where I didn't, where I didn't hunt much. I'd still fished a little and never, never hunted for about six or seven years. Um, but then I came back to it and, uh, for, for a lot of good reasons, but the main thing here that I, I want folks to understand and realize is I, that little gap taught me things and, and brought me back to the most reverential, amazing place in hunting for wildlife. Meaning I, I, I went from not having it and coming back to it in a very specific, detailed manner that had a, that had thresholds that had to be met, let's say. Mm. And, and, and once I met those thresholds and I treated the animals with reverence and I used the meat and I, you know, enjoyed cooking it and I learned wildlife behavior really intimately, it's become the most amazing thing I have in my life in, you know, that I, that I do as a, as like a recreational thing. Um, it, my kids grew up with it. We eat a lot of wild game and we revel in it. And I've seen the most amazing wildlife things when I've been out there. I got into conservation because of it. It, it, it means everything to me and it's all because of hunting and, and the love I have for hunting, uh, for wildlife in general came in large part because of hunting. And, and to some people that's, how could you, how could you fall in love with wildlife after having went back to killing them? Yeah. How can you purport to love wildlife and kill it at the same time is the paradox that we face, right, Bill? Sure. Absolutely. You, you know, I have a, a quick story that I, I think you'll appreciate, especially knowing where you're from and seeing the sponsors on oh, your- Bill, Bill, stop. You're, you're Tennessee and there's no quick story when a Southern redneck <laughs> well, starts selling a story I, of hunting. Come on. I got to talk about your sponsor levels on your website. All the classic African calibers. You know, I was like, okay, that's, that's really cool. But <laughs> fairly early on at NWF, I, I walked into a lady's office who's a non-hunter yet, you know, she's someone we got along great. Um, she appreciates what we do, but she had a, a photograph on her screensaver and is this gorgeous elephant. I mean, it, it was classic Africa, the dust and the sun through it. And I was like, God, that is gorgeous. And she said, aren't they just beautiful? I, I, I want to go see them sometime. And I said, I shouldn't have done it, but I, I couldn't help but say, I'd give anything to hunt one one day. And she looked at me like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I get it, you know, why she would be that. We ended up having a long conversation about hunters in Africa and what it means in Africa, why those species are still available in so many places and still viable. And it's hunters, you know, really making that happen largely. And she was open-minded and she sat and listened and then she read up on it. And not that she ever is going to say, hey, it's cool to go shoot an elephant. That's fine. But she had an open mind about it. And that taught me a lesson that I've tried to use, you know, in, in my own work, in my own life, to, to listen to people from that other side. It's amazing how far you can come together when you just talk. Yeah. And you don't, I think the key here is you don't have to want to do the thing or like the thing to agree with the outcome of the thing. 
it's you know someone says just because you hate heavy metal music doesn't mean that all heavy metal music needs to disappear in this world i don't think i could shoot an elephant mm-hmm. i've been around them i've been up close and personal with them i've been charged by them i like them there if you look at my grandfather his symbol that he used to initial his ending his um letters with was an elephant leaving a trail of dung just classic my cool. grandfather's humor but i don't have any anything against anyone that does choose to hunt an elephant because of just the same thing in america maybe just at a smaller scale there are benefits and consequences when done correctly when done sustainably of the impact of that action of hunting whether you're hunting a turkey in tennessee whether you're hunting an elephant in botswana or you're hunting an elk in Colorado. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Let me ask this, Aaron. Why do you think people have this misperception of NWF being anti-hunting? Are you, getting mis- are you just getting misclassed into the, the HSUSs of the world? Well, hopefully we're not getting classed there, but... Um... <laughs> You know, I think it's because of a handful of different reasons. Um, like, like Bill kind of alluded to in the beginning, we're a big tent organization. We have all different kinds of programs. We work on climate issues, water issues, pollinators, uh, re- restoration in the Mississippi River Delta. We work on that. We had a cougar program in, in California where we really focused on cougar conservation and a wildlife crossing that became the biggest wildlife crossing ever in the world in L.A., um, mm-hmm. we, we've, folk, we've done offshore wind stuff, uh, you know, you name it, we've, we've had some sort of interface in it in conservation. And so you're going to run across different people that are in the organization that have nothing to do with hunting. Their campaigns have nothing to do with hunting. Um, so if you talk to that person, you're not going to gather that, that we are a hunting organization at all. If you hear about their work or talk with them, um, that's one reason. The other reason is we've had uh, you know, ebbs and flows in our history as far as how much we support it outwardly or how much we've went away with it, uh, went away from it, mostly just by where we focused our resources and our programming, right? It, it, over the years, we've had different CEOs and other leadership that either weren't hunters or didn't care about it very much and just didn't prioritize that. So we had real, real ebbs where we went away and we weren't part of the large sporting coalitions like you'll see us now being part of. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's that. And then the last part is, is, you know, we, we know that lots of us have the disease of not investigating very deeply, mm-hmm. right. Of, of taking the first thing we hear or somebody says, oh, they're anti. And, you know, the 10 guys standing around that table, drinking a beer or whatever they're doing, just, oh, they, they're anti. And then next right. time they talk about it, that's what they'll say. And so, right. you know, it, it, it takes, it, things are so, uh, especially conservation issues are so nuanced and, and complicated now. We need all the players and, and you'll see that we've worked with all different kinds of folks, sporting and non-sporting throughout our history. And, you know, sometimes you get guilt by association too. Those folks do something else over here where that's maybe anti, right? And we've worked with them on something else. Well then, oh, they must be anti too. So it's mostly things like that, Robbie, I think are honestly the truth because 
I can I can dial you up a ton of guys right now, guys and gals, that would tell you no. They've we've worked with them on all different kinds of sporting initiatives, and we continue to to this day. Mm-hmm. What is the what is the what is the top guy saying? Um, what's his name? Is it Mark? Colin. Mark O'Meara. Colin, Colin O'Meara. Colin O'Meara. Colin O'Meara. Yeah. What is Colin's point? Is is Colin saying? positive things about hunting when he's talking about it? Absolutely. Colin, Colin definitely understands and invests in the value of the sporting community. Um, he's helped us deeply invest our time into the American Wildlife Conservation Partnership, which is a group of about 50 different organizations that are all sporting organizations. Uh, they work on a lot of different policy and, and other conservation frameworks together collectively to try and move the needle. Um, we, Colin helped us sign a, a memorandum, uh, excuse me, a memorandum of understanding with the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, understanding their influence and, and their work with members of Congress and other state legislatures who, you know, are, are sportsmen and women themselves. Um, Colin has uh, invested in, in our affiliates and helping our affiliates grow who are hook and bullet affiliates. Um, he definitely understands the value. He's an angler himself. He's not, he's not a hunter. Um, you know, that in and of itself too, maybe, you know, was part of the perception. He, you won't see him out there hunting elk or ducks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so people go, oh, they must not be a hunting organization, but I think you can be more than one thing. And, and part of what, you know, maybe is a detriment to the way people perceive us is there's a lot of singular species yeah, you know, type of organizations that just make them clearly hunting organizations, right? Rocky yep. Mountain Elk yep. Foundation, Mule Deer Federation, uh, Ducks Unlimited, you know, those kinds of things. But we know too, in all of those organizations, they have people that don't hunt. You know, mm. does that make them mm-hmm. a non-hunting organization? No. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm happy with the direction that Colin has led us into the sporting space. He works closely with lots of the other CEOs from the sporting organizations, has great relationship with them. And, and we collectively do a lot of good in this space. He takes great pride in the fact that those relationships are so uh, well-established and so important. Bill, what, what kinds of activities is NWF investing in that relate to hunting the outdoorsman, the sportsman? Well, I'll just bring it uh, from the programs I work on, which are the Mississippi River Delta in Louisiana, the uh, uh, Everglades Restoration in Florida, and now the whole Mississippi River. Um, All of these are very much uh, in hunter and and fisherman infested areas. I mean, South Louisiana, you know it well. You Mm -hmm. spent time down there. That Louisiana marsh is dying. It's going away, and and we're pushing to, to... have the projects put in place that are going to restore that marsh. Well, my part in doing that, obviously it'll be good for everyone. You know, when, when that marsh comes back, it's going to offer protection for the cities from storms, that sort of thing. More importantly for you, me, and Aaron probably is the fact redfish and speckled trout are going to be in much better shape when those estuaries are right. Uh, the waterfowl, uh, waterfowl have been slipping in Louisiana and a lot of it is that coastal marsh being gone or, or slipping back. And, we work with sportsmen to advocate for those things, and sportsmen are very involved in that advocacy. And it's the same uh, with Everglades restoration. And now, like 
in the Mississippi River campaign, one of the first things we're going to be working on is bottomland hardwoods in Arkansas. And if you are a duck hunter, and I am, uh, and a lot of duck hunters are really excited about this, uh, that we're going to be bringing our voice to uh, that part of the country to advocate for restoration of bottomland hardwoods. So just in the things I do, there's a ton of, of sporting advocacy involved and working with sportsmen because it's their issue. Bill, maybe mm-hmm. you should maybe you should expand a little on the sporting council that we've amassed for the Vanishing Paradise. It's kind of an all-star list of sportsmen and women that are sure. down there in, in that part of the country that, that are helping us work on that campaign. Yeah, and even nationwide, because that's some of what we do is try to bring some national attention to issues that some would think are local. And the Sporting Council, I mean, we have guys like Steve Bowman from Bass to uh, uh, John Gordon at Ducks Unlimited. I mean, these are with organizations, but then uh, the CFO of uh, Banded Waterfowl, um, I had him on a a, a virtual fly-in not long ago uh, about the Everglades. so men from all over the country, I've taken to Washington, D.C., and, and these are the leaders of, of sporting businesses and, and leaders in the sporting community, and they go speak to the politicians about the things that we want to happen. Uh, so a lot of great folks involved in that. The, what is, in what, what world does this NWF strongly play in, Aaron? I, I think people you know, hear what you're saying, they hear the projects that Bill has just outlined. But maybe the last question is, like, what do you guys actually do? <laughs> Boy, that's a can of worms, because it, like I said before, if it's conservation related, we do it. Um, you know, a few more in the sporting realm. Um, we're one of the lead partners in this group um, that's called uh I don't actually know what the group's called, but the, the website we formed is Act for Grasslands. And that there is a sporting coalition as well that's um, really aimed at trying to restore and, and, you know, really restore grasslands across the country in the form of, of modeling after NACA, the North mm-hmm. American Wetlands Conservation Act, uh, as many folks know, has, has restored about, you know, nearly 30 million acres of wetlands for waterfowl. Using that model it, with a sporting coalition, really pushing to try and restore grasslands, largely to help upland species, um, and and many other things. Right? If you if you want to see where there's a dovetail in our work, you look at things like grasslands store carbon greatly, and when they burn, they don't release the carbon like forests that also store carbon. So they're a carbon sequestration system. They're habitat for lots of different things. And if we can do that same kind of voluntary incentive-based work like we did with NACA uh, in, in grasslands, we can maybe help restore, you know, 75% of our grasslands have been lost in the United States. So there's a lot of loss there, and they're immensely valuable to many species, and that's a sporting coalition. Um, if I If I go a little further, we can talk about our work in the Northwest on helping uh, restore salmon, you know, try to get down the, the four Snake River dams. We work with our affiliates up there. It's been widely recognized, widely studied. We were, we were really proud of um, Senator or uh, Congressman uh, Simpson up in Idaho who helped unveil a plan to, to remove those Snake River dams and, and then find ways to, you know, reroute the, the traffic there that the barges were, were the sorry i'm not articulating that well but basically to reroute all the goods mm-hmm. 
that we're going to have to go through the barge system onto the highway to replace the hydroelectric energy to do things like that. These are things that take huge coalitions to pull off. We worked with a lot of guides and outfitters and different folks like that up there, along with tribes and traditional environmental groups. Um, we worked heavily on helping get the Chronic Wasting Disease Research and Management Act passed with a coalition of sporting groups and helped write some of the language um, to get that passed. So those are a couple of the different things. Um, we, you kind of just bring it up and I could probably tell you something we're doing with it. Uh, I wanted to help place them in the sporting lens there, but. But it, you would say that you, add, you, you work more in the coalition policy realm than the boots on the ground, putting construction projects in the ground kind of world. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's, and that's largely mechanical, Robbie, because, you know, when you have a state or a territorial affiliate in every state, right, A, they're going to get hyper-local. They're going to work on a lot of those on-the-ground fence removals or revegetating areas or things like that. Um, we often provide uh, expertise and resources and different things like that. Um, the one thing that I could say we do a little bit of that's a little bit more like that is some beaver restoration work in Montana. And uh, I think that's drifting over into Idaho a little bit. Um, you know, we've really realized that keeping water high in the headwaters through things like beaver dams helps fish, helps keep streams cool, helps mm -hmm. keep water in those streams later in the, in the seasons. And so they've started doing some good work around, you know, helping beavers repopulate these high country areas and, and seeing what that can do for for downstream communities, for fishermen, for, for all the different benefits they provide. Robbie, I'm going to throw in something that is uh, more of a hunter's rights issue that was a, a state issue in Florida. Uh, a podcast guest of yours called me about two years ago, Travis Thompson, said, hey, we got a problem uh, down here. The state is wanting to change the regulations so that municipalities can just arbitrarily tell us where we can and can't hunt. Mm. And they got busy and came up with a, a good counter proposal and, and a sign on letter. And NWF Outdoors, Vanishing Paradise, NWF were all able to sign on in support of pushing back uh, against that. And, and so far it has worked. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, they just have kept, continued to table it. And, and it was, you know, groups like ours and DU and Delta, you know, NSSF. Uh, a lot of folks signed on to that. So that's not normally what we do, but that one, it worked out and we were able to to sign on and support it. So that's well, a real in-your-face supporting hunters. Well, I was about to say, I think a lot of people would be shocked and, and, and have their jaws dropping that you are not signed on the same letter as NSSF. So <laughs> When a group's right, we're going to try to work with them, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, look, gentlemen, I knew that this was going to be a good podcast. I wanted it to be almost informational in terms of people just like me who hear NWF, National Wildlife Federation. And um, let me ask this. I've got one last thing that maybe you, you can help cover. You talked about the majority of your affiliates being hook and bullet. And I think on the Zoom call, Aaron, you might have said 30 of the 52 or something like that, right? Something like that. Yep. I think, think it's probably right. higher than that. What happens, and you said you guys, you guys are a federation, so you almost come together to make decisions for that, that, that 
like drives national policy, right? Mm-hmm. You want me so, to talk about that? Okay. Sorry. Well, I just want to. I just want to understand. Again, going back to you guys started in the 1930s, hook and bullet, 70, 80, 90 years on, you know, not everyone's hook and bullet any longer. You know, what happens up there in the in the in the Congress of Affiliates, in which do you have is it like a CITES convention where people stand up and lobby like, ah, oh, we shouldn't be championing hunting anymore? To a degree, yeah, Robbie. Yeah. Um, we we have a as you said we're a true federation meaning that we are comprised of these affiliates and when we when we have our annual meeting it's like the senate or something right there's two delegates from each state they sit up in front and they debate policy resolutions and these resolutions start much before this kind of like writing a bill in congress right folks say hey there's this new idea we got to address and they write and there's committees and staff are assigned to it. And then some affiliates are assigned to it. And there's robust discussions leading up to the actual drafting of it. Then it gets drafted, it gets floated. And then when you get there and you're actually in that moment, there is sometimes very robust debate about, you know, why we should be doing something and what happens. And, um, you know, we put it to a vote, believe it or not. <laughs> and, and so when things win, Via vote, that's the way we go. And then we are, we have a directive as staff to carry out the will of those resolutions. And we have, I, I don't know the number, it's, it's lots. It may be in the hundreds of resolutions over the course of our history um, on, on just about every wildlife kind of issue you can imagine. Hmm. So... I said that was my last question, but I'll, I'll final. <laughs> so what is the chance of a resolution being passed at NWF that says we are no longer a hook and bullet federation? Currently, I'd say zero. Zero. It wouldn't even get to the phase where we voted no. on. Mm. There's no way in, in, you know, at all that that would hit the, it, we would, we would be dishonoring and, 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 going against the will of our federation, both its intent as a founding body and then as the will of what our federation is, is representing and, and carrying out through their work all across the country. Mm -hmm. and Robbie, I, as a director of conservation partnerships, I, I sit in on all the meetings with the EDs from the various affiliates. And we had a live meeting in February and no, not, not even close. If you sat down in that room, uh, you'd have been as comfortable as being at Safari Club because, you know, we're sitting there telling hunting and fishing stories and it's, that's who these folks are. Mm -hmm. By and large, that's who they are. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's not changing anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate the, um, I appreciate the honest conversation. I um I wanted to have an open dialogue about NWF. I wanted to I wanted people to hear from the horse's mouth proverbially on what NWF means and what it stands for and and, and how it relates to hunting and outdoors. And I think you guys have done a a, a yeoman's effort in expressing that. Um, did I did I miss anything that you want to as last words put in, Aaron? I'll start with you. I don't think you missed anything. I, I would just say that um, 
that diverse coalition, federation, that group of people that we've talked about is our strength. If, if you are a, just a hook and bullet organization, sometimes you forget that there's going to be this whole other perspective. We never forget that because we can't, because it's brought to us, because our federation basically expresses all the different interests you can imagine in, a, in, a, in conservation in our country. So it's a strength for us, and, and we're proud to do the work we do. Bill, final words? Sure. Uh, you know, NWF is a great organization, and we're a big umbrella organization, as we've reiterated. Um, it doesn't mean uh, I'm a member of Ducks Unlimited, Delta, Trout Unlimited, Bass. You know, these other organizations are wonderful, too. Uh, if, if you're interested in, in sporting work, if you're interested in being involved, give us a shout, because that's what we do. We, we can help you make your voice heard if you're a sportsman who wants it heard. Mm-hmm. And I know this is an audio medium, but uh, we're doing this with video, and I can see an elk antler behind Aaron, and I can see a gun safe and multiple guns behind Bill Cooksey. So, um, tons of ammo over there, too. <laughs> well, I appreciate both of you, and uh, please don't hesitate to reach out if we can do anything for you guys in the future. All right. Thank you, Robbie. We'll have you, you on our podcast. We want you to come talk with us and tell us your story, too. So, we'll look forward to that. All right. Tenfold. Cheers. All right. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.